んは、It's Zach Langley Chichi. I'm so popular. I finally concluded my three weeks of harrowing discussions about the fucking Holocaust and Hitler, and I'm very excited today to finally discuss、um, one of the greatest phantoms of I'm So Popular. Kei Akizaka, 46, my favorite idol group of all time.、Um, I've been talking about them, you know, a little bit under the radar as early as my first season of the show. And to finally get to do an in depth exploration on the most horrific, terrifying, and fascinating idol group, in my opinion, of all time, is extremely exciting for me. None of you are gonna know what we're talking about, but it's okay. We're gonna walk you through it. You're gonna come out a learned person and see new realms of culture that were completely inaccessible to you previously. And the only person I believe that could manage to take on this task is tonight's very special guest. Who are you?、Uh, hi, this is Jacques from the Unpopular podcast. I feel like we're like. Sister pods, because you're so popular. I'm unpopular. And、uh, I'm actually like more into like the K pop, but you've like dragged me back into J pop after like 10 years away from it. And I've like, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad to have you back at home where you belong.、Uh, what are you doing, Jacques? um I'm just like sitting here by myself with my dog, and I've been like cramming. This freaking group. Like, I mean, I was, I was watching the document because you made me watch this documentary on them. So I was like finishing the documentary today. I've been like listening to the songs. I've really been like immersing myself in it.、Um, and I'm really glad actually that I used to be a J pop fan from like back in the day because it made me like, especially I used to listen to like AKB 48 and stuff, which I'm sure you'll explain、mm-hmm. them. But like, I had some like muscle memory left. So I'm like, oh yeah, like this. Bits and pieces were like kind of making sense, and I've been just like putting it all together like a puzzle. Yeah, it's an enormous tapestry that takes like quite literally years of work to even like comprehend what's going on. It's so like inaccessible and daunting that I really feel like it's my holy mission to make a statement about this that people can understand and then learn from because. Um, I remember when I was getting into this group, it was like impossible to like find like digestible, consumable information that could help lead you into understanding what's going on here because it is so esoteric.、Uh, but I do have to ask you, why do you follow me? I can't remember when I first followed you, and I don't know. Okay, it's definitely either. Via Jack, or it's via David, who you did the gangbang pod with. It's through、mm-hmm. one of them. I can't remember, but I do remember.、Um, I remember I first followed Jack because he was getting cancelled for something. Like, this was when his account was smaller. And then, whatever the tweet was that he was being cancelled from, like, I was like, oh, I agree with that. And then I started following him and then I started seeing the people that he interacts with and you're like besties with him. So it may have been through that.、Um, or it really could have been through your like, Madonna stuff. Because、uh, I love you. <laughs>、yeah. I love your love of Madonna. And I love, like, I became a fan of um of Gangbang. And I remember, I do remember following you and David before I listened to your pod. And then I saw you guys did have a podcast. I'm like, they have a podcast. Like, like <laughs> rudely, kind of like, why did they have a podcast? And then I listened. I kind of became addicted. And then I remember. Finding it shady 
in your bio that you only had I'm so popular, but you didn't have gangbang pod in there. And this is when you were still doing gang. And I messaged David and I'm like, um, don't you think that's like kind of shady that he doesn't have like gangbang in his bio? Oh yeah. David brought that up a lot. He was like permanently disturbed about that. The main reason is because he like looked ugly in the bio, to be honest, just like having like two podcasts in there. I'm like, no one's going to know like what to do with me. Um, I will say Gangbang is not yet dead, and I'll just leave it at that for now. So, oh, okay, good. Who knows? I mean, the the corpse might be getting beaten at the moment, um, but we'll just wait and see. Um, but your show, Unpopular, is really fabulous. It is very manicured. You have such a unique presentation where you do these spiraling monologues about your experience in uh, movie theaters or what you've been doing, and... It leads into conversations with such a wealth of internet celebrity as well as um, stalwart fame icons from the Housewives franchise. But what ties it all together is uh, your very charismatic and uh, enjoyable presentation on the show. So I am in love with your podcast and I'm very happy to have you on. And I've, I, uh, I loved going on to discuss Gwen Stefani with you recently. Oh, I loved that episode. Like the episode that we did was so good because that was when I was trying to change the direction on my pod a bit to be getting like more into stuff that I was really, because I got in this cycle of having to do a lot of like reality TV stuff, which I love, but I was getting a bit sick of it. And I'm like, I want to go down these like other avenues. And then I kind of like made a new season of the pod. I was like, I'm really just going to do what I want to do. And then I I had been waiting to have you on my pod for like a really long time. Like you would message me like, probably like a year before going, I want to come on the pod. And I was waiting mm-hmm. for the perfect thing. And then when they canceled, you know, Queen Gwen Stefani for loving Japan, I'm like, okay, I know who I know who to have on this one. It was just like, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> I think my ideal like social podcasting role is that I would like to be people's Japan correspondent. So um, basically, if any podcast in the world talks about anything Japanese, I'll already know about it. So you, by law, have to invite me on so you can get the correct opinion. <laughs> so I'm hoping that um, that identity clicks into place and I can make some moves that way. Or Don't you get totally offended when, like, you know that you're, like, perfect for a topic and then you see a podcast, like, do an episode on you, like, why the fuck did you not ask me to do this? Like, it's so fucking annoying. That happens to me all the time and it pisses me off so much. I'm like, you ask, like, this person to come on instead of me when, like, I'm literally, like, the expert on this subject. It's, like, infuriating. Oh, no, I think it makes me so angry. I think about the amount of work I put into this podcast. I make my musical interludes, which uh, takes a very long time, as has been detailed on the Patreon. You can listen to a whole episode in which I make it in real time. It's very time-consuming. I think a lot about what I talk about, and I organize great swaths of art, sometimes 800-page books or five-year careers of idols spanning 300 songs, and um, I do associated imagery with it. I make my promo. I do all of this stuff. And it's like, I deserve recognition and I am not afraid to say it. So recognize me or die. Whoever is against the queen shall die. Can I just say that you did a really good job of like prepping me for this. Like you put this word document together 
and it just explained it perfectly and you just had like you had like bullet points and like the order that their singles came out and like scandals that they have and then you like uploaded on like dropbox or something like a documentary on them for me to watch and i was like i really appreciate it because it's funny um sometimes you feel like self-conscious like giving people like homework to do for a podcast because you're like i really want someone to come on (laughs) but i'm like i don't want to like give them too much like i even felt like when I had Jack on my show and I made him watch this Christmas movie with Olivia Newton-John, I'm like, oh, I hope I'm not like inconveniencing him. Um, so I like totally appreciate what a great job you did with like, cause it was just all there. And I'm like, this is amazing. And then I went and like looked up my own stuff as well off the back of that. But like, yeah, you, I could tell you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears in that. I was like, oh my God. Wow. He's like, he's, he's on it. Thank you very much. Well, the thing is, is that I know how incomprehensible this is. Like, I'm not a fool. And even though, like, I speak pretty good Japanese at this point, like, even some of this stuff is so beyond me that, like, if it's shocking and strange and difficult to parse for someone who's, like, been living here for almost five years, like, I can't even imagine what some of this would look like. And um, I will share uh, my my a brief introduction to Keikizaka 46 Word document with all the links um, on the Patreon if you're interested. But we are talking about them today. And to briefly introduce them, we have to go back to my episode with River Page. It was uh, called Revelation of the Idols. And we kind of broke down uh, what a Japanese pop idol is. But there is a very specific subsection of them called Stage 48. And most people will be familiar with them if they have any idea what we're talking about with AKB48, which is probably one of the biggest, if not the most prominent idol group in in Japanese history. The concept is that it is a bunch of very young, pretty girls uh, that... You can meet them. You can buy their CDs and get a ticket to go to something called a handshake event. And you show up and you shake their hand and you exchange a 20-second conversation with them and you're out of the door. And at the same time, you get to root and motivate for your own favorite member. It's mostly a bunch of untalented, unskilled, and untrained girls. So you form very intense relationships with them as a fan rooting them on, cheering for them, buying their goods, and uh, buying the CDs so that you get a ballot and can vote for who gets to be the lead singer, the center of their song. And I know you're a little bit familiar with AKB at the very least, so tell me about your relationship with idols in that sense. Yeah, well, I um, I still remember the first time seeing AKB48, and I was completely shocked because I think I... I used to cover a lot of pop music. I used to have a music blog that was really popular, like way back in the day when blogs were a thing. And then there was a point when a lot of um, Asian artists started doing these like English projects to try and break into the West, like Utada did it, Boa did it from Korea, Seven, Wonder Girls. So sort of a bunch of them all around the same time. That was the first time I got introduced to like Asian pop music, really. And I kind of got into K-pop first and then mm-hmm. you know i was i think at the time i was probably into like 21 or something right and all k-pop is like so polished and you know they work their butts off to be like you know perfect choreography and all the plastic surgery and they're all beautiful and they have all the crazy hair and the fashion and then i remember seeing 
AKB48's heavy rotation, which went mega viral <laughs> everywhere at the time. And this song is like crazy because it's, you know, the group had, I mean, it was meant to, I think it started with 48 members, which is why it was AKB48, but then they extended to like hundreds, right? Funny enough, that's actually not even the reason why. It's because the office number of the producer was on the 48th block. And so they tritely called it 48, but there's never been 48 members of any of these groups. But AKB is very famous for having four teams within it that perform in rotation at their theater in Akihabara here in Tokyo. Um, They have a total of over 200 members sometimes. It's cool. Like, I just remember my mind being blown from that. And then when I watched Heavy Rotation, you guys, this music video, it's like every stereotype people think of, like, pervy, tacky, weird Japan. So, you know, it's barely legal. I mean, actually, were they even legal? Like, they they look like 15, underage. They're dressed in lingerie. It's like cheap, tacky lingerie that... It looks like lingerie for a woman, but it's also, like, coloured, like, something like a child would like. And they're clutching, like, teddy bears, and they're in, like, bed together, and they're singing, I want you, I need you. And it's, like, a sexy slumber party, and it's full-on, like, overproduced idol music. The song is really catchy, and I love it, but I just remember being completely shocked by it. And I think the Western media went crazy for it at the time of, like, look at this perverted stuff they're doing in Japan. And then that kind of was... um the gateway for me and like prepping for this episode, I went back uh, looking at some AKB 48 stuff and I forgot like how into them I really got like for a group with that many members, I think I knew like about 10 of them, which I feel like is like pretty impressive. That's like, great. <laughs> like yeah, I recognize them. Westerners have a mental block when it comes to these Japanese groups that have like absurd amounts of young women in them. They think that they're supposed to know every single member, know their names, know who's who when they're singing. And that's never been the point. The idea is that you attach yourself parasocially and with a very intense relationship with a few of them. And then you focus on purchasing all of their merchandise, all of their goods, and training yourself on a few members of the group. So you were doing it as a a Japanese salaryman would, which is the correct way to do it. The member that I ended up loving, who wasn't even one of the, I don't think she was even in the top 10, because like you said, they have the Senbatsu where they vote, which I think is really cool. Like you buy a CD, you get like a fucking ballot, you vote, and then whoever's the most popular gets like the center spot on like the CD covers and stuff. Like it's kind of amazing. Um, the girl that I like wasn't as popular, but it, she was sort of popular. Um, I think it was Sayaka Akimoto. She was like half Filipino. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably why she stood out because she looked she looked more like westernized. So then me getting into it for the first time, of course, I'm going to go for like the whitest face in the group, probably. Oh yeah, because <laughs> it's my Absolutely. first exposure. <laughs> and I was like, go for like the you know the half Filipino like one that's like you look kind of white. Um, and then yeah, I remember really getting into her, and she had like a subgroup. So they have like subunits as well. So she had her own subunit, and I was like obsessed with the subunit and would like listen to all those songs. So like yeah, and I got into a lot of the AKB songs, like the um, I can't even pronounce most of them, but they the one where they're all on the beach in the bikini, um, every day, oh yeah, or whatever. That was like huge, and um, yeah, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole with it, and. I, yeah, I really enjoyed them for a period, but then I got out of them. Like, I haven't listened to them for so long, so it's been, like, weird getting back into the, like, 
the 48 well because I remember a few years after getting into them right I would like sometimes dip back in I'll be like oh I remember that member oh that oh she's still there like right like oh she's still she's still in there in the front or whatever like Atani Momoma whatever her name is mm-hmm. um and then eventually it's like none of the girls because they replace them with new generations of girls and then it's like they're unrecognizable to me yeah this is one of the most important concepts to these specific brands of idol groups is that they have a rolling system where the girls age out of the group and want to start professionally pursuing other avenues or they want to leave the entertainment industry or they just know their time has come and instead of just clinging into the group forever as you see with stuff like western you know pop groups all the time they will give them a dignified graduation. They allow them to leave the group. They have a nice goodbye for them. They'll often be uh, prominently featured in their last single, and they'll do a farewell concert. And this is a a very respected and well-maintained facet of the uh, idol industry. But basically, this is all under the piercing, all-seeing eye of a man named Akimoto Yasushi. Uh, or as idol fans call him, Aki P. And Aki P is the creator of AKB, as well as all of its sister groups. Uh, there's basically one for every major city in Japan, AKB being for Tokyo, there's SKE in Nagoya, NMB in Osaka, it goes on and on, HKT in Fukuoka, I think. Um, but eventually, he decided to create a set of rival groups and he called it the sakamichi series and these rival groups are not 48 they're called 46 and the first one was called nogizaka 46 and mainly the difference between these sakamichi 46 series groups is that they were more elegant more refined uh less like girly lingerie, pushing your tits together, holding the teddy bear. And Occupy chose Sony Music, uh, which is a different label than he'd done all the 48 stuff on. And he decided to kind of see if he could beat himself with these other groups. And uh, it started with Nogizaka, like I said, in I think 2010. But today's topic arrives in 2015, and they are Keikizaka 46. And... I think to describe my interest in this group, this little group of 21 girls is so heinously violent, it is so exhausting, it is so fascist, it is so overwhelming, it is a total encapsulation of the human battle to be an individual person and all of the turmoil that it requires to be that person as performed by a bunch of 15 and 16 year old Japanese schoolgirls. Um, it is torturous. It is like quite literally violent. And this group is so shocking when you look at it in retrospect that you would never think that something like the kind of, oh, me and my lingerie making out with a teddy bear and all my girlfriends would like lead to what is quite literally a fascist seizure in Japan. Yeah, when um when you sent them to me at first and like I was I'd been really busy the last few weeks. And I was like prepping for these other things and I was looking I was doing an episode about Pamela Anderson on my show and stuff and I was kind of like I didn't get it at first cuz I'm just like all idol music kind of sounds the same when I like listen mm. to a few of them off the bat, right? And then 
when I started devoting more time to it and you sent subtitled videos and you sent a documentary as well. And the documentary had performances with the lyrics. And then I started seeing all of their lyrics um, of, you know, how they're trying to be individuals and fight against society and like fuck the adults and all of this like teen angst. And, you know, I'm just going to throw myself in front of the fucking train tracks. And then I started to like get it and like really get into like the whole vibe of them and the way they're dressed and the way they do their choreography is like, they look like they're having, it's like an exorcism. Like they thrash around like out of control. It's very, very strange. It's kind of shocking because, like I said, the Western eye is not trained to watching, like, 21 people on stage at once. And the way that they kind of combat that overwhelming sense of presence is they have one performer called a center. And the center is the most popular member that the management decides is going to be the lead singer, lead dancer, and in the front point of uh, what's called the senbatsu, or the positioning of the girls. So you want to be in the front so that you're seen, but when you see this, like, absolute, like, squirming mass of girls all wearing the same clothes, all screaming, all, like, ripping out their hair and thrashing and convulsing, it is unlike anything you've ever seen. It is shocking, truly. It's very, um, very Ken Russell, like with the nuns all like writhing around and stuff. And it's also come, (laughs) it also comes from them. Like, I think being inexperienced, because like the, like you were saying before, the concept of the group, and this is why it's so different to K-pop because K-pop, they have them trained to like razor sharp choreography and precision and perfection. Whereas specifically with AKB 48, they're like, let's just get like normal girls and these like they don't have like dance backgrounds really or if they do they've just gone to maybe a dance class after school or whatever this isn't like they're not like hardcore performers but then they're thrown into this like i was watching them and i was kind of thinking right like you get like ballet dancers or you know classical composers like in tar or like athletes and these these people like devote their whole fucking life to the craft of these things right like up at fucking 4am for swim practice and or band practice, whatever. And their whole life goes into like just being perfect. Whereas you get these girls that haven't really done it before. They're not talented. Like they can't really sing or dance, but then suddenly they're like thrust on a stage where they have to like learn this kind of insane choreography and all like perform together as a unit. And then it makes something that feels very unnatural and overwhelming to them as well. Cause like, we're going to get into this documentary, but I mean, half the documentary is just the girls crying about how like they can't Mm. do anything, how fucking useless. Yeah. It is extremely unnatural because we're used to these manicured pop stars who are like drill instructed into stages of perfection. And of course there's so much merit in that as well. But when you watch these 16, 15 and 17 year old girls just convulsing and having like a fucking heart attack as they're like desperately fighting to pull off the choreography it feels uniquely like desperate and on the brink of death in a way that no pop music 
is anywhere else. You constantly feel like they are in a state of deep peril from which they can topple off of and collapse and die. <laughs> like, it literally feels that way. And do you think that Aki P actually writes all of the songs? Because, like, okay, when I see, like, Tyler Perry and Ryan Murphy, right, they have, like, fucking 10 shows coming out a week and they're like listed as you know the head writer and everything and I'm, like, I'm like there's no way you can like physically do this like sh- do you think does Aki P because I imagine it like he must have like a factory making all of this stuff but then he kind of like oversees it or like changes things do you think it's like that I believe he truly writes the lyrics for every song he's credited on um they have other people who mix arrange and produce the songs even though he does produce some of them himself but I really do believe he is like the all-seeing eye for this project and he specifically wanted Keikizaka the group we're talking about to be a new branch of idol he wanted to be a challenge to everything else that had come before it he wanted it to be a rebellious and like overthrowing of the system in this little army of 21 girls he'd assembled and i think his vision is extremely clear and when you look at the succession of singles and kind of like the narrative that unfolds across them over time i feel like only it it would require one person and their extremely well-polished will to make that something like that happen. Yeah, and you were saying in, like, the notes for it how funny it is that he makes kind of, like, an anti-authoritarian group in the most, like, homogenous society, in the most, like, manufactured idol system. But one thing that always annoys me when people attack Asian pop, like me being a K-pop fan and people shit on it all the time, and they're like, well, that's manufactured, and all they talk about, they're not real artists, like, they don't play instruments or whatever. You always get that shit if you like always, Asian yeah. music. But it's like, yeah, who? it's not about can the individual person sing like fucking, you know, Whitney Houston or write a song like Bob Dylan or play the guitar like fucking Jimi Hendrix. It's like, it's an art project And it's a whole concept that comes together from the choreography to the lyrics, to the way the music video is shot, to how they're dressed, to like the overall message of it. And um, when you, you, you've got to step back a bit and like get rid of some of your preconceived notions about like manufacture, especially Asian pop music because Asian pop music gets it the most because people sort Mm -hmm. of like know it for being so manufactured and um yeah, he is he's like a true auteur that is just like has these very specific visions of these things that he wants to create and he builds it. And really, the girls are like just one part of like a much bigger, you know, machine. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that because if you didn't have this like overwhelming tidal wave of girls, like in a literal choir, dressed in the same clothes, like, all communicating the same image, his ideas would fall flat. Like, it needs that vibrato and that force, you know? It needs the the courage and the energy and the, you know, the, the image of all of these people gathered together. And so, is it manicured and fake? Absolutely. Like, without a doubt. But that's part of the appeal, because in order to manage 21, like, you know, barely pubescent girls, like, into, like, being your little toys to make a large thematic statement requires, like, Ayn Rand objectivist levels of power that um, basically no Westerner could ever manage. Yeah, I mean, what isn't manufactured anyway, at least when it comes to music and films and stuff? Like, people always love to single out 
Asian pop music as it's like this is the this is the stupid manufactured thing that we all have to shit on and this is the dumb thing but then we can I mean, you know, what do you think a movie is? You know what I mean? Like it's a director with casting people and like creating, putting a vision and a message and stuff to life. So, um, And in I... fact, the transparency is something I find refreshing because oh. it's like, because it's so lucid and clear that like they make a big point about how these girls are being like strung along and have like no artistic input whatsoever. And that gives them like, actual human reality to like struggle and suffer and strive to be better within the context of this group they're very upfront about it and that's what i've always loved about asian asian pop music j-pop and k-pop um because one thing like one reason i fucking hate beyonce besides the fact that her music's just not good is that she's always had this fake she's been pushed with this fake artistry the whole time they always pretended she wrote her songs which she never did i mean she lies i don't want to go to beyonce tirade but everything about her is a lie and manufactured like a fucking you know japanese idol group but you have like pitchfork writers you know creaming their fucking panties about how she's the most revolutionary artist of our generation or something it's mm -hmm. like this is a fucking lie where it's like at least if i go and listen to j-pop and k-pop it's like i know how the sausage was made like i know what it, i'm getting you know what i mean i can find the i can find the art within that as well you know i can like connect yeah. to the lyrics as i'm not being fucking like lied to like you know american pop stars they american pop stars are so self-conscious like they always need to sell this like fake authenticity to you that's just like it's just it's a charade totally and I just am obsessed with the fact that all of these girls have been assembled within, like, this highly, like, disciplined, almost, like, militaristic system that has been in place, you know, for, at this point, like, well over 15 years when the time they were debuting, like, they were able to uh, exist within this well-oiled machine uh, while deliberately fighting against the machine and against Japanese society and against the standards of normalcy and uh, complacency. And I find it very beautiful that this uh, kind of a major contradiction of these girls uh, being like revolutionary, like fascist overtakers is happening in this like window, basically. Yeah, well, I have a like a, a side question about their Please. music and also just idol music in general. So if you turn on like the mainstream commercial radio stations in Japan, like would you ever hear a song from them on the radio? No, no. I mean, the thing is, is that I think um, there are some songs that uh, that come from Akipi between AKB and Nogizaka and especially Nogizaka and Keikizaka as well. They'll come up in commercials um, they'll be played, like, sometimes, like, in convenience stores or on the radio. Um, but most Japanese people these days listen to Western music or stuff like Aimeon or whatever. And uh, this kind of idol stuff is mostly left to the male otakus and salarymen in their 30s and 40s who form uh, wild parasocial relationships with these girls. Yeah, I was going to say to you, like, so going around through Japan and talking to people about music and stuff... It would be if you said that you listed any because I okay so a Japanese idol group that I used to be obsessed with they kind of had a change where I fell out of them but it's called they're called Tokyo Girls Style and I love them but they're an idol group that came from Avex which was like the biggest label in Japan yeah. manufactured and if you told someone that you liked these 
idol groups like, you know, AKB48 or Tokyo Girl Star, would they think that's kind of, like, weird, like... Oh, totally. I tell... I have to fight for my life, not only with foreigners, but with Japanese people about Keiki Saka 46, because no one gets them. Everyone just thinks that they are, like, you know, very pristine, clean, polite, kind of cringe, like, you know, so spotless, and it's because no one, Japanese or foreign, like, actually takes time to process the lyrics of what they're talking about. And if they even tuned in, like, half of their brain to, like, even ambiently absorb what the lyrics of something like Silent Majority or Fukuaon or, like, Black Sheep, um, if they heard any of that, they would know that something very major is happening here. No, I have a point about what you were saying about um, people don't kind of understand their lyrics and the art of them. So I have a K-pop group chat on Twitter and a couple of the people on there are like older guys. Like I'm not sure how Uh old they are specifically, but they're definitely like older straight guys. And look, I'm sure they like seeing, you know, cute Asian girls in school girl skirts in like music videos and stuff, but they get, they actually get the fucking music. They're not just there because they're like perverts and like cute girls. Like they get the music and they're, their understanding of music is going back of like, you know, they're fans of like rock music and all like the great, you know, great bands going back for like decades and big artists and probably, you know, certainly would never have grown up like listening to Asian pop music and the kind of K-pop that they like and J-pop as well because we share J-pop in the group chat. They like the real shit. They're not listening to fucking Blackpink and like BTS. Uh-huh. They like the stuff that's good. So I feel like... um Okay, a lot of okay. I know with AKB forty eight and um, Ki. Oh my god, I can never pronounce their name. Say it again. Kayaki Zaka. You can Ke- just say Kayaki though. Kayaki. Okay, yes, Kayaki. I know that like because they have this handshake system and the Senbatsu thing. It's sort of different where it's like there is kind of like a horniness of like men that are kind of obsessed with these girls. But I do think that it's like people love to throw all of the grown male fans into that pervy basket. But I mean, I'm mm-hmm. a grown fucking man. Like I'm 35 and I'm gay, but I'm 35 and like, I can listen <laughs> to these Asian pop music. And I'm like, no, I actually like the music. Like I see what they're doing. Like, I'm not just here. Cause I want to like fuck a 17 year old. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. And honestly, to be honest, like, the people who want to fuck them, I'm not, like, that, like, <laughs> shocked. Because it's, like, the thing is, like, okay, yeah, like, I want to, like, you know, I'm, like, turned on by, like, these girls or whatever. But here's the thing also is that the people who are so, like, into them and, like, so, like, channeled into their music, they also take time to, like, memorize the lyrics, like, memorize the responses that they do at live performances. Like, they're hearing what this music actually has to say. And Japanese society is very difficult to cope with as a Japanese person. You have to work extremely brutal jobs that suck your life away through a vacuum cleaner, get married in in sexless arrangements. And to be honest, like, having a group of people that you find, like, desirable, like, telling you... uh, For instance, let me just read the lyrics of Silent Majority, like... At a crossroads brimming with people, where will you go? Being washed away, wearing the same clothes, wearing the same expression, walking in a way that will get you inside the flock without suspecting anything. Why are you worrying about being different from someone else? The people ahead turn to face you and tell you to keep in line. They preach these rules, but their eyes are dead. You have the freedom to be the way you are. 
Don't be controlled by adults. If people give up like that from the start, then why were we even born in the first place? Having dreams means at times you'll be faced with loneliness. You have to walk an empty path. You won't get there even if the world is all the same. Are you really okay saying yes? Silent majority. Like, I think that that is something that's, like, worthwhile for, like, washed up, like, sad, like, lonely salarymen to vibe with. Oh, totally. And all of their, okay, all their lyrics are like that, a silent majority that you just read out. By the way, my favorite of the lyrics, wait, let me get what the song was called. Um, Wait, you put all the songs down. Let me find it. Because it was like my favorite line. Um, It was glass of water. Oh, glass of water. Yeah. Yeah, glass of water. Um, The, what is it? Um, a dog who cannot bark is not a dog. It was like all about like using your voice and speaking up, but it has all the dog metaphors. I love that song, by the way, that I think that's my favorite song out of all of them. And that's like mm-hmm. such, I've been like rocking out to that song, like head banging and shit around the fucking house to that song, by the way, J-pop music. Um, it has a, it has a similar feeling to listening to rock music. It's just as kind of chaotic and like frantic and angry and energetic. And, um, in your face as listening to like hard rock um and it it invokes the same feelings as me uh in me when i listen to it but um yeah the the lyrics are so great um on all of the songs and some of the stuff's like cringy but it's in a way that um like it makes me feel nostalgic like so sometimes i'll listen to the like the kind of corny bands that i liked when i was like a teenage you know angsty right. boy like i'll listen to like death cab for cutie or something now as an adult and i'll be like oh this is like pretty cringy but it also kind of makes me nostalgic because i'm like god i remember when i was like at this age and like i felt this way and i felt like you know the sky was falling on me and that i was like so fucking different and i was you know mm-hmm. i was a character in they live and when you're um listening to these idol songs and these rebellious lyrics, like even if it's cringy, like it takes you back to that. Like, God, I remember being like an angsty teenager, you know? Yeah. And something that you got exactly right about the music is that it is like chaotic, explosive, fast, like Van Halen, like explosive inertia. And I think it's very difficult for Westerners to swallow because there are a million different things going on every single song. There is guitar, there is synths, there is the choir of 21 girls singing at the same time, there is drum, there is piano, and this is all happening at the same time in a five-minute song that is, like, so fast in its BPM that it feels like your head might explode. But there's something so, like addictive about that it feels like injecting heroin or something like once you you can like listen to any of these songs on an infinite loop and they never get old because the choruses are so big the lyrics are so expansive and you just like feel like you're getting like sucked into the threshold of teenage life with a burning passion to be alive and fight back (laughs) They do some really interesting stuff with the production, like the the piano riffs that they have through some of them. It sounds like someone got like coked up and then he's on the piano, like ding, 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 like going like crazy oh, yeah. on it. And like one of my favorite things, and they do this actually in a lot of like J-pop stuff, but they did this in a few of the, um, <laughs> it's a key 46. I can't say the full fucking name. <laughs> in some of key 46s, 
songs like one of their favorites one of the favorite songs for me was um eccentric which as you can guess it's all about being it's all about being a, a weirdo and different and eccentric and the song starts by they're not singing and they're not rapping they're just like talking and it's like two of them like having a conversation going back and forth and they're talking about how there's this rumor going around about some like weird person and they're having this like back and forth, like ping pong thing, but it's like, they're not even speaking at a normal, they're speaking like you're listening to the Apple podcast thing in like two times speed, like really fast going back and forth. And I just like love like interesting little things like that. And then you have the like crazy piano and everything. And then it'll go into like more of a traditional chorus and you go back on the verse and it's going back to the like quick talking. It's just so interesting. Oh yeah, like it's like it's like literally just them like they talking really fast and something about Kayaki that is also very difficult for people to swallow is that some of their lyrics are so fucking fast that like Japanese people don't even know what they're saying because they are like like on a, songs like ambivalent and stuff they're just and it's like they're speaking so fucking fast but it's like they have to say this or like exploding to say it and I I'm so here for it. Um, they do I the. Think... I sorry, I just oh, want to cut in and say they do the quick talking thing as well in the second single. I can't say Sekinaiwa. Sekinaiwa Aishikunai, which the... means there is only love in the world. They do that in that one as well. Um, they do, and I, and I just love it. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. It's so unique. It feels so challenging and meta and. Um, like I mentioned, the, this group's mission is to be kind of a thorn in the side of society and be a motivating force for like these wota otaku guys to find meaning in their life by rebelling and pushing back and the way they dress is uh, also quite unique they're all wearing basically like a mixture between schoolgirl uniforms and like ss attire like they feel like it they look like they're quite often wearing military garb and so to like see them do like these militaristic songs about like breaking free from the over crushing society and they're like doing it in like this like military wartime like blue and red outfits it's like just like fascists yeah it's so it's so deeply compelling to me it's how i feel do do any like teenagers listen to this group in particular because the lyrics are very like they are very youthful they are lots of actually teenage girls really like this stuff too. I'm not surprised. Which, and they have great. <laughs> they have one song which this one stood out to me actually on the the documentary called <laughs> On Monday Morning My Skirt Was Cut. Oh and yes. It's about um because I was looking it up, it's about like perverts on the trains that like cut your skirt so they can see your panties which is like a problem right like they, these molka cams and stuff that they do with the upskirt cams yeah because like i was issue. really baffled by this image as well of like these girls getting their like skirts cut and i like, asked my boyfriend about it when we were watching the documentary i'm like do you know what that means and he's like no and then i had to like do a little bit of reading and it's like oh yeah like people on trains will just cut open a skirt so that they can see something and then run off the train as soon as they do it and it's like to have an idol group, which are innately supposed to be, like, these, like, sexual, like, easily consumed, pure girls, like, do, like, this protest song about, like, getting their skirts cut up and rejecting society and pushing it all away, 
very avant-garde, I think. The li- the lyrics to that song are very strange because it's kind of like very detailing strange. their whole reaction is then they have to go to school after experiencing it. And they're kind of like, they haven't like fallen to pieces, but they're not like, they're not like devastated, but they're not angry. They're kind of like stunned. Like they had one line where it says, I'm not yet foolish enough to die, but I don't want to live. They're just like in yes. this like weird purgatory of like, how do I handle this? It's like such a strange song, but I love it. Yeah, a lot of their music doesn't make a conclusion about how to survive. And it actually just kind of lingers in the purgatory of existence is extremely punishing and cruel. And I have no answer out of it. But recognizing it is enough to make life worth beautiful and make you believe that perhaps the world is truly only love. Um, But I'd like to get into the meaty, greasy details of this group and go through their history a little bit with you. Um, I think that when you are contextualized with some of the backstage drama that happened with this group, it goes from an interesting artistic project to an emblem of like the end times and um, this strange Ouroboros that consumes itself with its own philosophy. 
2015, they uh, were uh, founded as a group of 21 members, and um, even before they were able to release their first song,、uh, there is an immediately a scandal.、Uh, Harada Mayu,、uh, one of the group's founding members,、uh, was forced to graduate early when it was revealed that she was screwing her middle school teacher. And I linked several of these photos. What did you think about this? They were so funny because they both look so happy and they totally look like the cliche of like the pervy teacher and the Japanese schoolgirl because he's kind of like trying to grab her boobs and stuff from behind. Oh, he's literally grabbing her boobs and then、um, it's in a pretty cruda camera booth and he writes on the picture boobs with a heart emoji. Oh, yeah. Caption reads tits. Yeah, he's grabbing her. Like, how was she? What's the legal age of consent between an adult and a.、Uh, Younger person. I think it, de- it depends on the prefecture. I think it can be 16. So, was she 16, right? I assume. Yeah, and also her parents gave her consent to <laughs> date him. <laughs> He looks like such a fucking loser because she's a cute girl and. He just is such a fucking dork. Like, he's in, he's got this cardigan and tie on, like a grandpa would wear. And. Like dorky bangs and like glasses. And when he's grabbing her boobs, he's like patting his lips like a girl. And <laughs> I just don't know whose parents would give them permission to date this fucking guy. <laughs> On Monday morning, my skirt was cut. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he is he like the kind of guy actually? Is that what the kind of like stereotype of the guy that would be in the like 48 fandom? I mean, it's possible. They do,、um, you know, kindly cut out his、uh, face with a mosaic.、Um, but th- that creepy pursed lips and the glasses makes me feel like, yeah, like he's like the stereotype of like who would be infatuated with an idol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this happens before the group even gets off the ground. And it's so funny because there's a group that's like all about <laughs> rebellion and pushing back against these. Social borders、uh, is immediately cursed by those heinous images of them together in the photo booth. I'm glad that it didn't like derail the whole group, you know, like, because I mean, they still had a really successful debut, but these Asian scandals are interesting because I feel like there's more scandals in Japan and sometimes they blow over, but sometimes they'll like destroy your whole career. Like, I mean, in Korea at the moment,、mm-hmm. if you get accused of like bullying, if someone comes out and goes,、oh, I was bullied by this idol in high school, like your career's over, you, you're done. You're like exiled、mm-hmm. from the industry. So it's, it's interesting. It is interesting. And I feel like there's this social practice that comes to like shame and like quote canceling unquote in Japan, where it's like, There is a way out of it, and it's by like atoning, by like cutting your hair and being like publicly apologetic. And if you try to apologize in the West, 
it just makes the problem ten times worse. But, like, if you give a powerful, weepy monologue with your hair cut off and, like, brushing tears out of your eyes, like, you can quite often, like, recover from a lot of this stuff in Japan. Well, one of the AKB48 girls did that famously. She shaved her head. That's right. And that went viral all over the world, and everyone was like this is, you know, this is humiliating and how could they do this? And this is like abusive. But then most of like the J-pop fans and stuff were like, no, she actually like wanted to do this and now she's like fine. (laughs) Yeah, and she kind of made a meme out of it because like everyone sees that video of her like giving the teary like apologetic monologue. But like she was kind of in on the joke and like uh, she became like a very like popular um, like variety TV comic thereafter as well. So it's like... The West just can't swallow this stuff. Like, they don't understand that you do have a way out. They they don't fucking get it, and they refuse (laughs) to get it. But after this one scandal, they they finally were able to release their debut single, um, which I already have read a few lyrics from, Silent Majority. And this is maybe one of the best songs ever made. I was going to say it. (laughs) This is a song about truly uh like it's a walking in a crowd full of people seeing their apathetic stares and desperately thrashing to break free they shot the music video in a construction lot in shibuya you'll find that all of their music videos are filmed like in atypical locations but there is like an uncanny quality to them being in one of the most like populated crossings in the entire world and choosing to film this song about rejecting the world around them in a uh, unfinished construction lot. But what did you think about this song? Yeah, I loved it. Um, this was the first one that actually clicked for me. Like, even though, though now, like, that I've heard the other songs, like, it's not my number one favorite, but it's definitely, like, a statement record, especially with the lyrics. Like, when I, so I think I listened to the song first without looking at the lyrics. And then when I watched the documentary, they have it in the documentary with the lyrics. And then when I'm like, got it properly, I'm like, oh, okay. And then in, in getting tongue tied, um, even in the documentary, they're talking about how like, we're coming out with like something very different. And the way we're shooting this is like, the idol groups haven't done this before. They haven't done these kind of lyrics before. So like, yeah, I really like this. Set. I, I think it's good. And this is also the debut of the center. And as I explained, the center is the selected lead singer and lead dancer, the focal point of the video. And in most idol groups, sometimes they'll have a center for a few singles in a row. But from this single forward, we have to address the lead figure of this group, Hirate Yurina, popularly referred to as Techi by fans. And... There is a very compelling quality about this girl. She was 15 when they shot this music video. She has a short haircut and she's quite boyish. And she has a sort of passionate look in her eye that the producer Akipi noticed himself. And for every single moving forward, she was the center every single time. Now, what did you kind of think when you first laid eyes on her in the middle of this song? Okay, I put the documentary on, and they do feature her kind of at the start before they tell you that she's sort of like the star of the group and stuff, but they're giving her airtime. But as soon as I saw her, like I took a screenshot and I sent it to you and I said, this girl is a star. And that was like a few minutes into the documentary without even knowing that, like Uh without knowing her whole arc or anything. And when I read your 
note when I read the notes that you made for the for the episode and like prepping me, you were kind of like made a comment about how she's like overpraised and stuff, which she probably is because you know all of the, you know like the whole picture and like all of the scandals and everything, and you've like followed the group for a few years. But like me, just as like a normie. The second I saw her, I'm like, she's a star. Like, she just, I couldn't look away from her out of all the girls. She was the one that I gravitated towards. And by the end of the documentary, I had a different vibe from her. But yeah, I was not <laughs> such a fan. But, like, she just pops. Like, she just has it. Oh, she has it. She's such a unique figure. And, like, honestly, you know, I do think she is, like, overpraised. Especially once you, like, know everything that happens. But, like... She completely enraptured the Japanese public, and she was in the center of every interview. She was on all of these magazine covers. They started casting her in every movie they could, and she has this, like, passion and, like, deep association with the lyrics in in her eyes. And when she's dancing, you can, like, really see her pushing her exertion to the max, and it really gives these songs, like, a lot of necessary emotional weight that sells something as like you know gloopy stupid teenage rebellion as something like silent majority yeah well so was she like was she a crossover star that like went beyond 48 and was like a mainstream star from the group so when everything ends at the end of this she uh released two solo singles that are absolutely horrible and made no noise and then uh she was supposed to be in a movie And then she quit the movie after three days of filming to announce that she just joined, like, Hybe, I think is what it's called. That's, like, the number, that's the biggest label in Korea. Like, it's massive. Yes, and so they're expanding in Japan right now, and she just signed with them. So we'll see where she goes. I mean, she's, like, literally 21 right now. She, she, I mean, yeah, I won't say everything about her yet, because I'm sure we'll get to, but she's a, a troubled girl. (laughs) <laughs> oh, very, very troubled girl. I also love the idea of all of these girls wearing the blue uniform on the cover of this single. They're standing in the river of Shibuya, and um, I guess this came out in 2016, so it was right around, uh, you know, post-Trump stuff. And the idea that these, like, Japanese producers just picked silent majority, which had been, like, this horrifying word for Americans to designate, like the silent majority that elected Trump and they like, no, the silent majority is ready to say no to society. <laughs> like it is kind of reactionary. Don't you think that's, that's like, yeah, that's iconic. I I mean, I would love, I would so love it. That was actually linked. Like if they knew that, which maybe they did, I would have to check the times, but I love that anyway, even if it's not linked, like that's, that's like cosmic. Absolutely. Uh, later this year, um, before their next singles, uh, I think actually they had one more single, which we both really like, which is Sekai Niwa Aishikanai. There's only yeah. love in the world. but That's, That um, one's really cute. Wait, I just want to say I've got my, I've got a notes app because I was oh, making notes as I did it. And before I knew like who Techi was, this was like one of the first notes that I had was girl with Bob haircut is the cutest. Cause it was like, she just, <laughs> you know, just like, cause she had that certain like this boyish Bob cut with these like choppy kind of bangs. And she had these like fish eyes with the, um, I know in Korea they call it egg yosal, which is like, it's mm-hmm. a fat sort of thing under the eyes. It looks youthful and cute, like bug eyed. I mean, they put her on the cover of everything. Like, I'm holding my CD of their debut album, and it's like, she's so fascinating to look at. And Jack points this out a lot. It's like, the most interesting, powerful celebrities are ones that you just, like, want 
to look at more. Like, you want to see them. And Keiki Saka, as well as, like, all idol groups, like, do these massive photo books where they, like, take all of these pictures. And every, like, single one that she's in, in, like, this enormous book, your eye goes straight towards her and you can't look away. I was wanting more of her, like, because obviously there's, like, 20 members or whatever um, in the thing. And then when she wasn't on screen, like, at the start of the documentary, I'm like, where is she? Where Where is is she? she? Like, I need to see more of her. Now, you know, an hour into the documentary, I'm like, go away. I've seen enough. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen enough of this bitch. But, yeah, at first you just, like, let me see her. No, for real. Um, This uh, year, uh, before the release of their third single, they had a special Halloween show, and they all wore SS uniforms. (laughs) Were they actually, I know you sent me the article, were they actually SS uniforms? They were just, they were very similar. They're SS themed. They are not literally Nazi imagery. But as I was mentioning on the Patreon, I do feel like Keiki Zanka is like post-Hitler because the idea of this group is that you have to deny every single rule in place by the established society around you in order to live a gloriously individualist life, which is, you know, naturally very Mein Kampf, as I discussed, you know, last episode. But they do it in a way that, unlike Hitler, is actually about love and embracing the ecstasy of being alive. But the fact that they, you know, mistakenly wore all of these little Nazi uniforms. And I love that, like... It me to the end of the world. And then, like, the Western media, of course, had, like, a freak out over it and tried to make it. They love covering, like, Asian pop when it's something like this. Like, someone did blackface on a variety show. Like, shut the fuck up. Like... No they don't have any have idea say. what they're talking about. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Um, yeah, the, the Western, actually, the Western coverage of, like, Asian stuff is so bad. And I remember um, when I first got into K-pop, no, like, no one could do it. Like, I was getting paid. I wasn't even, like, a real journalist. That's how I ended up in my career, just from mm-hmm. blogging. But, like, there was no one that could, like, write about K-pop. And then there was this, like, turning point where it was, like, all of these, like, woke white like new york writers and stuff came in and then they were like covering k-pop and j-pop and asian content through that woke Mm -hmm. western you know american lens and i'm like you're just like ruining this you're ruining everything like you have no idea like what you're talking about and they the fact that they like even like got like occupied to like make an apology like for the group because of it is like so funny like Japanese people don't give a fuck about, like, Nazi imagery. It means nothing to them. It just, like, happens and they think it's, like, fierce. And it's, like, it is kind of fierce to, like, see, like, a bunch of, like, little girls, like, touching on that. I feel like that's a better way of processing the Holocaust in World War II than, like, the schmaltzy, like, Schindler's List, like, you know, tragedy, like, crying tears you know the inspired stuff does look chic you know like you said they went literally dressed as nazis it was sort of like inspired and it is a chic look like it's chic i just watched um i rewatched barbed wire with pamela anderson and the villains in that uh, they're styled from nazis and they look very chic um (laughs) so like it's a thing (laughs) it's a vibe it's absolutely a vibe and the fact is like even outside of this halloween costume like like I mentioned earlier, they, like, really dress like fascists. Like, they dress like a little, like, Chinese, like, 
you know, authoritarian fascist military, like offshoot against the communist government that's going to go shoot up a village in Mongolia or something. But they look really cute. Like the pictures that you provided on the word doc, they're like, they look so cute though. Like they just like, they're doing like cutesy little like Asian, like selfie poses and photo booth poses and stuff. And it's like oh, really yeah. adorable. It's very cute. And it's just it's like the mass of them together that becomes like, you know, so riveting. But after this was their third single, uh, Futari Saison, or uh, We Are a Season, or Two People Seasons, depending That's the on catchiest how you translate one. it. That's the catchiest one, because that, um, I would be like doing the dishes going, Futari Saison. Saison. Like, <laughs> Futari Saison. <laughs> <It's> so <catchy>. <laughs> <laughs> That's the catchiest one. I like I said this earlier, but like there is this quality where you can like listen to their songs over and over and over again. You can listen to the same song ten times in a row, and it feels just as exuberant and exciting oh. as it did before. That's all Asian pop. That's why it's like fucking crack. Like I'll listen to the same yes. K-pop song like hundreds of times. Like that. That's how they they're so good at producing it with the hooks and stuff, and how repetitive it is that you just want to keep listening to it. Like it's yeah. bad. <laughs> Like, it's good, but God. it's bad. <laughs> and this becomes even more so with probably the most monumental and horrific curse of their entire career, which is their fourth single, Fukiwaon, which means discord in English. And this was quite unlike their other songs, because the first three singles can kind of slot easily enough in terms of sound into kind of generic occupy stage 48 idol music but this is a screaming synth ultra fast paced like hurtling forward nightmare march with every instrument you've ever heard and all of them screaming i mean this is their like biggest statement of like protest yet and i'm very curious what you thought about this song because you never brought it up when we were like talking previous to the episode yeah, so I knew this was your favorite song because you kept going on about it and you were like, get into this song. <laughs> no, I do actually like it. At first I didn't because it's very synthesized. Um, yes. So there's a part of it that, there's, there's a part of it that sounds just like cheap dance pop, you know, but obviously there's all these other things going on that like elevate it beyond that. But there is kind of that element, but um. I like this one and I really like the synths and I actually, I sent you a K-pop song. I'm like, I think they ripped, I think they ripped it off. I watched it and they did. Yeah. yeah, the (laughs) Like, I'm like, they took that, like that riff from this. Um, I do really like that, but it's not the, my favorite of the angsty ones, like I said, is the, is the one about the barking dog. (laughs) Oh yeah. Grasu Ware. Yeah. Fucking obsessed with that one. I've been like rocking out to that hardcore and then eccentric with like, the the way they do the production um yeah so i don't know i do like this one but it's not my favorite but i know that this is like yeah. you this well it's, is a, like it's your... a monumental piece of what made them famous because this changed everything for them before then they had been kind of making like the simple like guitar piano lots of instruments like sing-songy we're swinging together kind of idle music and then this is a scream and it famously features Techi, this center of the band. Uh, she goes, yada, which means I won't do it, or I absolutely hate it, or I detest it, or I'm opposed. And when she screams, yada, it is so 
shocking and bizarre for an idol at the age of like 16 to like protest in that way um and the choreography for this song is absolutely fucking mental this the choreography is really when they started to be like thrashing around like like the exorcist vibes because yeah like you were saying like especially the this uh second single and the third single are definitely like very cutesy like they almost sound like k-poppy like they're very just like totally love like kind of like love songs and then this one yeah that this is where they're like convulsing this is like the ken russell like exorcism just vibes like pouring out of them no it's like literally like the devils and watching them all like seize and like dun, 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 like fucking thrashing their arms around and like laying on the floor jumping up pushing their like f- like fists forwards uh when you watch them perform this song live they like split the group in two and like pretend to pull them and when you hear them perform it you can hear them panting and screaming and when you see 21 girls like desperately emoting about you know, as the lyrics go, I won't, I refuse to say yes. I refuse to nod my head. Even if everyone around me is agreeing, I refuse to say yes. I absolutely won't stay silent. I'll keep on resisting to the bitter end. Um, I won't be afraid of inspiring discourse. Even if they hate me for it, I live by my own sense of justice. I don't care if they hit me. To give in is no different than dying. If you want to rule me, you better start by overthrowing me. And watching all of these 16-year-old girls in a fucking, like, amoeba mass seizing, this inspires feeling unlike anything else I've ever seen. The the sloppy dancing's really interesting, right? Because I was thinking of, like, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation, which that's also kind of like a, a political song um, and a rebellious song, but the way that Janet dances in that is so fucking precise. It literally is like, you know, North Korean military. It's so on point. And then with this, because like we were saying before, these girls, they are kind of like unpolished and stuff. So it's just, you get these girls that haven't really been trained, but they've got to do this like crazy dance routine. And then with the lyrics and everything, and then it just makes for something like very kind of chaotic and like, it's definitely aggressive. And in the documentary, you can tell that they are all horrified of performing this song because they all get into this exorcism ritual of it and they hate performing it. Well, they seem to hate performing everything. I mean, the fucking documentary, (laughs) literally 50% of this documentary is these girls just like crying backstage. Like, I can't do it. (laughs) They're so fucking useless. No, like, they're literally all shinshi. They're all, like, afraid of, like, the world. Like, it's all, like, Evangelion. They're, like, crumpling up and, like, weeping and fainting all the time. And it just is, like, I kind of, like, get it, though. Because imagine if you were 15 years old and you were asked to perform this song um, about, like, a complete resistance and forsaking everyone around you to be completely independent... And you had to do it with those anxious hand movements for, like, five minutes. Like, I feel like you would feel cursed by this. Yeah, you wouldn't. It was kind of like when um, when I was saying earlier how, like, athletes and ballet dancers and musicians are, are used to, like, working their like working their fucking fingers to the bone. No, these are a bunch of like prissy and, yeah, girls. These like, are just they're random a bunch of cute gr- prissy girls. But then they have to get on stage and, like, sell their soul to this music and this project and they yes. take it re- they do take it really fucking seriously and they look they they 
they they're like a fucking transformer made up of like different pieces and they all come together and it's like you know if one member's <laughs> out sick they just lose it if like someone can't do their they, they just fall to fucking pieces if just one of them can't like, do it oh my god what are we gonna do with the senpatsu there's no one here and they're like all like beginning to cease and, like we can't do it we all have to quit like we can't yeah. do it before like they're, like all like manically screaming literally but they it's... just fall to pieces so it's yeah the, but they're so they were so fucking pitiful. Like, by the end of that, though, I was just like, "Mike, you fucking bit. Like, please just get on stage. <laughs> like, there's one scene, um, I think in the second half of the documentary, I can't remember which song it is, but one girl goes and, like, l- basically locks herself in this room. And then this, like, there's some producer, like, I don't, is he, like, a gay producer? He sort of has, like, a long hair. He's a, a choreographer. Chain. Oh, the choreographer, the gay Japanese choreographer. And he's got to, yeah. like, talk her down <laughs> off the ledge. And the scene goes for so long. Like, yes, because it's just emotional torture porn of, like, because there is something very satisfying about watching all of these, like, virginal, like, marries like these like beautiful pristine japanese girls if you watch like their television like sorry i just said like like a japanese person if you watch their tv like variety shows like you get to know them really well and like you start caring about them and then like to watch them like sacrifice their sweet home lives and their innocent pure existence to like be thrashing around a fukuion just like screaming and like ripping out their hair and sweating and like shaking like it means something it means like a real commitment to pain and beauty that i feel like no western artist could ever replicate you know, that's 100% right. And it's like, what was so jarring to me was like, there's the commitment without the talent. So it makes for something like very strange. Like there was that one girl that she's like, I worked as a bank teller for six months after I got out of high school, but like, I always liked singing. So, you know, now I'm in the group. Um, it's like some <laughs> other girl that there's some other girl that runs off crying and she's like hiding behind like a curtain or something. And oh, she, when she hides behind the curtain because she doesn't like, and they're like, where is she? And she's like literally <laughs> hiding behind a curtain because she can't deal with more like emotional exercises she was like this is too much she's like i can't get on there and do this it was it was yeah it was crazy and it's funny too because then when westerners see this stuff too they're like oh this is just like torture like this is abuse it is not they all auditioned to do this no one forced them to be idols they wanted to do it they chose to sacrifice their well-being to be emotional instrumentation and i think that's beautiful it is, and this makes me... I, I want to bring up Tetchi because... Yeah, because, I mean, things get serious for her from here. Yeah, well, okay, so she... We'll get, we'll get into it, right, but, like, basically, she just starts missing all of these fucking performances. She's so fucking unprofessional, right? And she's vanishing all the time and fainting, and she seems so dramatic, but I will say... um, When I read your notes, there was so much in your notes that were not in the documentary. So I feel like she yeah. came off really bad. And to me, she came off terribly in the documentary. But then um, reading your notes when I realized, like, how much... I mean, someone tried to talk... Okay, let's talk about when someone tried to kill her, the smoke Yeah, bomb. I was about to say, we have to bring up the smoking <laughs> incident. So Fukiwaon was such a fucking big deal in Japan. Number one single, over a million copies sold, which is crazy. And, you know, this is an idol group that's been around for barely a year at this point. And the resonant note of her saying Boku wa yada was, like, so severe that it, like, infected 
like Japanese consciousness and it made the parasocial relationship people have with idols a lot more intense and meaningful. And so at one of these handshake events I described earlier in which fans can purchase a ballot by getting a CD um, and then show up to an event, shake these girls' hands, have a 20-second short conversation with them, maybe take a picture and then leave, um, the smoke incident occurred where at a handshake event in Tokyo, a 24-year-old man from Sapporo um, arrived with a paring knife and a smoke bomb, and he lit off the smoke bomb and charged at Techi with a knife. Was his intention to, like, was it to kidnap her or to kill her? To kill her. And, like, why did he hate her? Was it because she was, like, fucking... Wait, had she started being problematic in the group at that point? No, no, she hadn't. Um, She had been pristine, and the fact is, is that she had been asked to be the center four songs in a row and on their reality show they show actually the process in which they announce the positioning of the senbatsu of of the ordering of the girls so they start at the back and they say who's like doing the worst and has to stand in the back and then every time it would get to like the last three girls and tetsu would be there every time and you could see her shaking in fear because she didn't want to be the center anymore. She couldn't take it. And then when she would get picked, she would break out into desperate tears. And so she was already, like, snapping from the emotional weight. And I think that, honestly, her image was just so compelling that this man conducted a sick fantasy of her and had to end his beautiful image of her, like the Temple of the Golden Pavilion in Mishima Yukio. Yeah, the fact that she almost... Yeah, because you know what... So in the documentary, there's a part where, and they show, like, they show Techi at the start of the documentary when the group is, like, filming Silent Majority. and She's she so does, sunny. Yeah, she's so sunny and cute and fun, and she also does seem very dedicated. Like, I will say that the girls always mention that she seemed to, like, work harder than, like, there's, I think for the... I think for the second single it is, there's a contemporary, like, dance solo or something, and one of the girls is having trouble like emoting and doing it and she starts crying because she can't do it and then Techi comes and does it perfectly and then they sort of suspect that like Techi had been rehearsing secretly but not telling anyone that she was like really dedicated so they do make out that she's like more dedicated to the group than the other girls and on top of having that x factor and the hard work and everything and she was like one of the girls and then I think from that from Fuke Fuke One whatever um they said that she changed from that and like didn't when they were filming the music video she didn't want to like talk to anyone really and they were trying to say that like she was so deep in like a lady gargaring shit like daniel day lewising it like method acting that she was like getting so into the lyrics and so into the concept of the song that she felt like she couldn't be around anybody and that's how they frame it in the documentary but then when i read the notes of everything going on when i'm like well someone tried to kill her at a fucking handshake event and she was you know had a bit much busier schedule than the other girls because she's doing all these magazine covers and all this like other press and stuff like then it makes more sense i guess yeah and it's like i feel that she really does sink herself into the imagined narrators of these songs like she really the reason that her performances are so compelling is because she is like you know acting out like these very downtrodden, embattled, painful narrators, and 
a lot of them are threatening suicide or have given up on the world or have uh, no interest in life whatsoever or are breaking free from all known society up to that point. And her commitment to realizing it, I think, is quite palpable. But especially when that same commitment ends with a man rushing at her with a knife when she's fucking 15 years old. I mean, it's just drama beyond the world's end. I wrote about her. I said, I was calling her Urena because that was one of her names, but I wrote, was Techi, uh, was Techi possessed by a demonic spirit, the fame monster? <laughs> because no, she was absolutely, yeah. She came off like that in the documentary, like, because she seemed to be getting deeper and deeper into this character in the group. And then she starts like missing all these shows. And it feels like, it feels like very like she just wouldn't show up to like a music video or something at one point like she didn't show up Mm -hmm. and this is what like this is why i was so torn on her because the whole group is supposed to represent like being rebellious and like going against the system and like being an individual and she like truly was that to the point that she was like i'm not showing up because again this is like a manufactured i mean despite what they represent it's a manufactured group within this like idol system and i'm like she really like by her attitude of like i'm doing me bitch and like i'm not showing up and um she kind of embodied the rebellious spirit of the group like she really was it but then it also became like just very annoying by the end of the documentary oh, when yeah. she wouldn't it's show up. It's exhausting. Yeah, because and there was like I think one of the last concerts they were having, she's like dramatically like collapsing, like she's so exhausted and everyone's like huddling around her and it's like, okay, girl, stand the like you're fine, like <laughs> stand the fuck up and do the show. Like it feels like just dramatic like Sam Smith faggotry theatrics of like. Okay, so. I used to think the same thing because basically what happened was is they released uh, their debut album, which is Mashiro na mono wa yogoshitaku naru, which means uh, pure white things that make one uh, pure white things make one want to become dirty. Uh, she was basically absent from a ton of their uh, performances in the summer, and when she was, she like wouldn't make eye contact. Um, there was a bunch of tension in the group because they were thinking of including. Um, you know, members from like the subgroup inside of this main one, and there was a lot of like drama between like deciding how the group was going to proceed. Um, they released their fifth single, but in December, they performed at Kohaku, which is the annual Japanese New Year's song competition, and there is a white team and a red team. And one team is women, one team is men. So one team represents the female groups and singers, and one is the other. And Keikizaka had been invited to perform Fukuwaon at the concert, and they are possessed by the Ken Ru- like Russell devils and start seizing and passing out and hyperventilating on stage. And this is one of the most dramatic Renaissance painting moments I have ever seen in pop culture. I was um kind of shocked by it because being a K-pop fan, I always like thought of Japanese idols as like kind of like lazy and not really having that much of a work schedule beyond like doing handshake events and stuff. Um, and then to see them getting to a point where they're like passing out on stage and everything was like quite shocking to me. Cause I was thinking like, God, how hard were these girls working? And 
a lot in the documentary, like it actually doesn't seem like they work that hard. Like they seem like pretty cheerful and then you see them just like hanging out and like chatting a lot and stuff. So it doesn't seem like their schedule is that bad, but then for them to all be like fainting on stage at this awards show, I'm like, yeah, really, what were they going through? Well, basically what happened was that um, Tetsu being an over-emotional, you know, little artiste is definitely contributing to it. But they were also asked to perform the song twice. So this is a very demanding song for choreography. I have been learning the choreo myself, and it is intense, to say the least. Like, it actually requires a lot of physical effort. And they had done hours and hours of rehearsals, performed the song once, and then performed it again in these huge latex, like, leather, full-body coats. So they were, like, fucking melting from heat. And they all started hyperventilating and passing out in these images that are taken of the members like falling apart in the backstage and they touch she beginning to like shake is like her hands and all of the members collapsing to pick her up can you believe like how extreme this is but you know okay the ken russell of it all like when all the nuns start freaking out it's obviously it's just like it's not real like it's like a contagion like one starts doing and they all start like falling to the mass there it's not so, like you said, Techie being a little artiste, is, is the others just, like, copying her? <laughs> no, I think that they literally were overworked and overheated okay, and actually yeah. were hyperventilating. <laughs> so, like, imagine because... they're all trying to have their dramatic moments of fainting and stuff, like, and they don't even realize they're faking it. They're just, like, following her. No, and I, I honestly even believe that, you know, Techie, even though she is, like, Little Miss Artiste, I do believe. I mean, you have to remember, she's fucking 15. Yeah, like, but teenagers also have a lot of energy. That's why you can work them hard, like the idols, because I don't know. Okay, I also want to talk about with Techie, because this is sort of on the same note of the concert they do. This was so ridiculous, and they're all doing the choreography, and then she just, like, breaks free from the group and starts ad-libbing herself. Um, oh, I mean, this is, like, the that's, like, the big finale for the group, basically. That was, like, the moment that, like, sealed their fate. Because um, she started going so off the rails. I really think that her... Like, I think she honestly felt her soul was being split apart by the nature of this group, because... No matter how much she was acting a little bit, I do truly believe that she had, like, sold her soul completely to this, like, imagined narrator of the songs that they were producing. Like, even if it was, like, excuse me, like, some, like, grandiose um, illusion that she had slipped into, I think she really had sacrificed herself completely for the art of this group. This moment is so shocking because, okay, so guys, what happens basically, they're performing, they've got a big concert, it's their tour, it's the last night of the tour, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're all, is it, are they doing Fuke One or is it a different song? No, they're singing Grasuo Ware, the song oh, about song, not the being dog. a dog. Yes, yes, the barking dog song, of course. This is why, guys, the barking dog song, I'm telling you, that's, that's the song, okay? <laughs> That's the one you need to get into, okay? And read the lyrics. They're doing the, the this very dramatic song, and then she runs out. Like, they're all sort of on the back of the stage, but there's, like, a runway going out onto, like, a platform in the middle of the kind of the crowd. 
Um, and she runs out there, and I thought that was like part of the performance at first because you know she's the center. So I'm like, okay, so she has like a solo, but it's not. She broke away from the group, and you it cuts to because it's a documentary. The other girls going, she started ad libbing, and we were shocked, and we didn't know what was happening. When she's dancing, she's doing the demonic like thrashing around, like oh, and it's she, it's actually uncomfortable to watch because it's not like fierce or like artistic. It like feels like she's literally having a seizure it's crazy and like the song is such an intense song and then you've got all the lights the red lights and stuff and her fucking her earpiece is flinging out of her ears and like thrashing around her face and all the and all the the old japanese men in the audience have their glow sticks like all in unison like it's a it's a demonic ritual and then like at the end of it, she like basically like flies off the like falls off the stage in a heap and injures herself. She like, collapses off the stage. And she was that was like one of the earliest songs that they did during the performance, and they had to perform for like eight more numbers after that. Oh, and is that it's sorry to cut you off, but is that the yeah. same concert where there's another contemporary dance solo and yes. where the other yeah, and there's this other girl and she's like, should I fill in for her spot i don't know and then she does it and she runs out and then she she does the solo in tetchi yes place. because during Fut- futari saison you're supposed to improvise a solo during it but they had no center because tetchi had ken rustled herself off of the fucking stage and she didn't know what to do and she just did it and she's like even if it makes every single person in the audience my enemy i have to do this for the sake of the song and girl work like i fucking get it like these little teenage girls are so emotionally open and unironic about their little rebellion anthems that like they are going through true operatic like theaters of passion in real time and you would never see these kinds of narratives unfold in any other medium ever no, never. And I was surprised how much they shot, even though I feel like there's a lot that they left out. Like because they didn't talk also... about the smoke incident. They didn't talk no, about her getting like not at all. None no. of that. They really just kept it to the group. But this was the best part of the documentary for me. This whole arc of her running out to do the solo after Techi ran off on her own. Because I do think that, look, the documentary is over two hours. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think it was too fucking long. Like, it oh, it's was way too long. It was way too it, fucking long. They make sad. these fucking idol documentaries, like, as, like, puff pieces for the group. So they're all very biased, and they're basically all Lars von Trier things. And with Nogizaka and with AKB and every idol group, basically, they do these, like, masturbatory Lars von Trier torture porn things. And it's just, like, girls crying, being like, no, no, I don't want to be in the front again. I don't want to be in the front again. <laughs> it's just the same thing over and over again. But that was, like, definitely one of the, the best parts. That girl that, um, that decided to do the salt which one is she is she the one that was in the subgroup or is she different no so the the subgroup girl is uh nagahama neru and she quit quite early on because uh maybe a boyfriend scoundrel potentially um but that was sugai i think is her name and she was like the captain technically of the group even though tachi is the center oh okay i was trying to see if you sugai uh... yuka i think is her name Oh my god, um, the girl, one girl that I loved, and she was a background one, but she stood out to me as being so uh-huh. pretty, was um, Harada Aoi? <gasps> Aoi? Oh, 
Harami. She's the youngest member of the group, and she is so cute. I love her. She's gorgeous. Like, she's so cute. And I've looked at her now. I think she's like 22 now or something. And she's like beautiful. Like, she's absolutely so pretty. And she kind of looks like she could be in a, you know, how on YouTube, how all of the city pop songs that people put together on YouTube, they have these like retro 80s, like, anime gifts and stuff like she looks yeah, like she yeah, could yeah. be one of those like i don't I god i her. know and they just have her fucking doing songs like fukiwaon and grasu wa wade <laughs> like you are making this like angelic little creature like like i don't even have the word for it like convulse for her entire existence it is so beyond cruel and shocking Oh my it god! It makes sense that these girls are fucking passing out and like dying on on stage. Okay, with Techi again. So I've got some like notes on her, and there was also some stuff with you that you put as well. So with the Simbatsu, uh-huh. wasn't it like because that's what where the the fans vote and they were doing that, but then she like complained and made them stop. And was that because then was it sort of like she wanted so to be the is, center, but she didn't? This is kind of a rumor, so no one is quite convinced. But basically. Um, Kei Akizaka was cursed from the start for never truly doing, like, a real Senbatsu. Like, they never did elections. Nogizaka really didn't do them very much either. Um, but they kept the same center every single time. They never, uh, the Senbatsu basically only shifted in terms of everyone else but her. And so when they announced that there was going to be a Senbatsu and that it wasn't going to be a fan vote, but one organized by the agency again, and that they would be not including certain members and including other members from the subgroup. Um, she got allegedly quite upset about this and stopped appearing. And I don't know if this is true, but there's lots of paparazzi photos of like her and Akipi, like uh, having very serious like conversations, like late night Lots of people think that they might have been sleeping together. I do not think so. I just think he was, like, artistically ravaged by her. Um, but there definitely sort of was... Like, he's, like, a bit like Hitchcock. We know how he would torture his female yeah. talent. <laughs> no, he's he's totally like Hitchcock. I mean, I don't think a single one of these girls escaped from this group unscathed. Like, Nogizaka and AKB is, like, innocent and, like, simple enough. But, like, this is, like... Keikizaka is truly, like a fucking coffin full of nails that they throw these girls into. And, like, once you're in, you can't get out. It's too emotionally extreme. She is a little, like, she is very kind of ex-Tina Bionic, like, I'm an artist, because um, with the ninth single, like, she doesn't show up for the shooting of it, and she's, like, complaining about the lyrics, and she tells them <laughs> something about, like, I don't think I can express these lyrics. You know what I mean? Like, I can't express these lyrics. It's like, girl, you're a piece in a fucking like a, an idol group you know what i mean she became so much the center of the group that it started imploding the group and they basically had two more singles after um you know as we're getting close to the end here and i love both of them ambivalent is just it's, it's so really good so really good. fierce the music video is their most abstract and it features them like as like the last of us like fungus zombies like undulating and like so deletes their humanity that like uh it just shows her like resurrecting them like from this like point of stasis it's beautiful 
Uh, and then there's Black Sheep, which has her, of course, dramatically fainting at the end of the song and being picked up by everyone. Um, but at this point... Oh my god, they... is that, yeah, they're all, and they, they all crowd around her and stuff. Like, yeah. I'm just like, girl. And that was around the same time the Tokyo Dome concert when she's like, they perform and she gets off stage and she's like, oh, she's like falling down. Everyone has to rush her around. Like, that's when I was really hating her. And she her like knee is bleeding and she's like convulsing again. I think honestly, she really got possessed by the music and was such a she became such a gleaming perfect star of exactly every part of the group's modus operandi that it ended up like sabotaging her. It's interesting to become that so young because usually like you would think that maybe at that age she would have gone along kind of like you're at school and you're just following like what the teacher says, you know, it's usually when, again, you're like a few years into your career, like a Lady Gaga and Christina Uh Aguilera and stuff that you start with the theatrics and everything and like really being kind of ridiculous and, you know, walking around like an egg at the Grammys and stuff. But like she was doing it through, (laughs) like through this fucking idol group, like within like a couple of years, like still as a teenager. Yep, and basically she completely stopped appearing. She refused to film the music video, and suddenly, in the winter of 2020, in January, she does not graduate from the group. She does not go through the formal process of leaving it. She withdraws. And on the same day, uh, two other members, uh, Suzumoto Miyu and Oranana, also decide to graduate themselves, and the group is over. They have to, they're forced to rebrand into Sakurazaka 46, but they have to close the chapter on this part of their mission, and their songs have never been about the same thing ever since, and it is a cold, quiet, and silent implosion of the supernova that was this group. Well, they make a really good point where one of the members at the end, when she's talking about the rebrand, she basically says, if we stayed like this, people would just keep keep saying, it's not as good as it was before. It's not as good as it was before. So we kind of had to do like a relaunch with a a new name, which I I agree with. They were right to do it. They were. And one more thing I wanted to say on Techie was with her quitting, by the way, it's like so rude of her just to quit and not do the graduation after this group like made you. Now you sign with Hybe, which is like the biggest label in the world. Like you wouldn't have been nowhere without this group. But um, she had like been threatening to quit before. And the very first time I think in the documentary when she just doesn't show up to something or refuses to go on stage or whatever the the group falls to fucking pieces like they oh it just freak out, like the world just obliterates ending. it's it's quite breathtaking to watch like the fear come over them as they realize they don't have this center to rely on anymore and it's so different to k-pop because in k-pop and especially with like south korea's kind of like capitalistic like competitive society and it, th- this would be the same in america as well like if the lead snapped her ankle or whatever nicole scherzinger or the fucking lead of new jeans whatever Mm -hmm. like there'll be like 10 bitches behind going i'll take the spot i'll take the spot but like you know let me get the glory and be in the front but like with this group no but they're terrified they don't want to do it they're too afraid to even imagine like like, they were just gripped with terror and like it was one thing went wrong and they really did look at themselves as 
one unit where you needed every single piece of this unit to be able to, because that's how they rehearsed it. And you change one thing and they just completely like dissolve into like tears. Yeah. And like when they perform, there's one scene where they have to perform eccentric, which is like my favorite song from them. Like it's so amazing with the fast talking and everything, but, uh, and they just leave her vocals in and there's just a gap when they're, when she's not there and it's truly haunting you realize how much of a, like, nucleus she was for all of this. I know, but, like, she was, and she did, like, an, okay, none of the other girls really had this, they didn't have the same X Factor that she, for the vibe of the group, none of them had that look, because it wasn't like AKB48 where you can just get a, the prettiest one and put her in the middle, like, you had to have, like, totally. something different about you to center this group, but someone could have, like, stepped up to the plate, but, like, Tetchy was like such a fucking drama queen because the first time she was trying to quit, she's like, I think I'm going to quit. And then they're all crying and she's like, well, I want to talk to you guys about it. And then she doesn't quit, but then she like won't show up to things. And it's like, girl, like, I don't know. Oh, but I love it. I live for it. You know, I don't think that she would be a fun coworker, but (laughs) what an absolute like cosmos of all of the themes of this group. And to imagine them having like an endless string of number one singles, like led by this girl in turmoil, having to like fight tooth and nail to escape herself and her own fears about artistic expression. I resonate with this group so fucking much. I like literally feel like my existence on earth is fighting against everything around me as I'm doing like an absolutely autistic, retarded, like AGP, like, fascist uniform dance and like overly emoting and feigning out on live tv in latex like it is just too beautiful for me not to to completely identify with do you think the other girls in the group liked her though because they're all very pc and like they sort of they seem to understand her japanese girls would would never like there's only been like one like evil idol and that's Jurina who is in SKE and was like on produce 48 and stuff in Korea and she had a very competitive uh, relationship with Sakura uh, who I think was ended up in um, Is One yes she was in Is One and now she's I think she's the lead of oh no no she's she's in uh, Les Seraphim now Right. So she she and her had a really, like, intense relationship, and Jurina was, like, one of the only, the competitive, like, cutthroat, like, bitchy idols. And so they would never say anything bad about her. But to be honest, the fear that those girls had in their eyes when they were sent to the front, or that they realized they had, they might have to do the bokuayada <laughs> in Fukuyon, like, the, the complete terror, I think that they might not have been friends with her or loved her i think they kind of looked at her like jesus and the music videos completely help that image because she's always being resurrected like christ um in the number when they're all wearing suits and kazani fukuratemo uh she literally like ascends into the heavens and like floats above all of them they must like view her a little bit like a religious pastor or savior. And in the documentary, when they're all like hugging her goodbye, it like really feels like they're saying goodbye to Jesus. Yeah, um, no, it totally it is crazy. Um, and I feel like they remind me of like when they get people on reality shows, so like The Bachelor, 
and they like take their phones away and they completely isolate them so they don't have anything else except this world of like filming The Bachelor and then they brainwash themselves into thinking they're in love with The Bachelor and they have to do everything they can to get to the end of the show and marry this guy and then when they get eliminated at the rose ceremony they're crying in the limousine on the way home and like they think that their life's over and it's like Mm -hmm. these girls kind of join this idol group and I don't know what the rules are if they have cell phones banned banned or not but no they got their phones but they live in an insulated yeah they seem to be living in a bubble where everything was life or death and they didn't really seem to have uh, have any interest outside of being in this group no it's their entire lives i mean they have to film their tv show for it every week they have to do their rehearsals all the time they basically like went to school and then did idol stuff and that was it and you know the way we're talking about it kind of like paints like a horrifying image, but I mean, look at the amount of like seething, like boiling humanity that's broiled out of this group because they basically like contain these girls in like a simu- like a simulated reality and say, okay, th- like your life depends on if you can emote hard enough in your thrashing choreography of this song. That creates such like reality and truth and i don't see it anywhere else like watching them like do like this protest and try so hard i feel like this is like one of the most like living pieces of pop art i've ever seen truly yes it does need to be 40 minutes shorter but yes i agree <laughs> totally. um, the documentary is, is such a mess just like the group in general you know <laughs> like no no the documentary I... is is boring as fuck and also does not go into the places it needs to go at all it's all about tetchy like there's so much more that could be said you it's know it's fascinating but... but it's boring but it's also like because there were parts where it was very riveted it was just more towards the end but also, in saying that it's all about Techie, which it is, she doesn't do any like confessionals, like piece. Of, like she does, she's not oh, on no, there talking. She was already out of the group and did not want to talk about it. Yeah, so they don't. There's nothing. She's not there. It's just everyone talking about her. It's also funny when they cut to the girls because um, when they show them in the group, they're in their like you know little idol uniforms, fascist uniforms. Yeah. But then when they cut to their like confessionals and they look a bit older. They're in kind of like these mature sweaters and like dress matronly, like (laughs) mid 20s Japanese woman stuff. And it looks like they're like, it it feels like they're like war wives, like (laughs) reflecting on starvation when they like talk about what happened to them. Yeah, totally. And I'll kind of like side note, but you sent a bunch of stuff in the Word doc, and one of them was like someone that went to the handshake event. And it was, like, one of the first ones they did, I think, when they had their first single out. They weren't that big when they did it, and someone went and they wrote it in English. And it was so funny because it sounded so boring, for one, because for, like, over an hour, every member has to come out and do, like, a show and tell. And it was the most random fucking shit. And, like, someone would just bring a painting and go, like, this is a painting from my house. And one of the girls I wrote down her thing um this you actually had her listed as one of the standout members um miyu suzumoto <laughs> and uh, yeah and yeah and it says um she talks about chestnuts being her favorite uh, food also says she can make omelet rice nothing for show and tell <laughs> she left <laughs> she didn't even perform anything like some of the other girls were coming in doing like a buddhist chant or something and she's like i like chestnuts and then like leaves 
Oh, um, I mean, like this is the thing too, because like this is just the top layer. What we've talked about. If you go into their like variety reality show that like marks their progress every week, like it shows them trying to market themselves and be charismatic, and basically they'll introduce themselves and then pick some stupid concept like chestnuts and make it their hallmark. And so like Suzumoto is like the chestnut girl, and like when you go to the handshake event you're like i like chestnuts too and then she says me too and then you leave they have that shit sorry all through k-pop which i hate although in this in this j-pop like senbatsu kind of system it's actually kind of charming and interesting but i do hate it in k-pop one reason i hate it is because the and you would have seen this with like the weird akb fans and stuff the fans like fixate it where I'm like, I actually like the songs. Like I like listening to the songs and I think the music's great. Whereas like so much of the fandom is just fixated on like, they did something funny on a variety show. And like, that's all that like, yeah, the yeah, music yeah. is like, not even the music's like nothing. Like it's just like something that comes with the package. You know, like, I love, I love the music. Like I'm not, I'm not joking. I can listen to almost any <laughs> of their singles 15 times in a row and still feel like animated and brought to life by it. It is powerful, like detonations of weird subliminal urges and unsaid truths about our discomfort with society and the cost it took this silly little group of 21 girls to approximate. I mean, it was so worth it. Like, I feel like we should literally be gathering up, like, people and, like, torturing them and making them make, like, such, like, meaningful, forcefully passionate pop songs about crap. Like, I think this philosophy must be, like, pushed out to the West and everywhere else immediately. I want to tell people that if they're going to listen to the songs, there's definitely a barrier for entry. Like I, like I said, I had some muscle memory for being from being a J-pop fan back in the day and just being a big Asian pop fan. So it wasn't so weird for me to get into, but if you don't like listen to this stuff, it's it's going to be weird. It's going to be hard at first. I'm just like, give it a proper chance and like stick with it for a bit. And I will say, even for me, um, already kind of liking this kind of music. It didn't really come together for me until I like read the lyrics that went with the songs and kind of understood more of the concept and got into like more of the songs and was like listening to the production and stuff. So, you know, if you're just going to like turn on a song for like, you know, 20 seconds in Spotify or YouTube and just and then just close it. It's not like, going to eh. work. Yeah, it's not going to work. Like you kind of have to like, and give it a proper try and you've got to find like the right songs i definitely think silent majority because it's the first single um that's definitely a good entry point and i would say like the b-side eccentric that because that doesn't sound like yeah. typical idol music um that has a lot i of, like, would weeds. agree that eccentric is probably the best song to introduce people with uh and then probably silent majority uh i would stay away from stuff like Sekai ni wa That'll be too cutesy people. for people. They won't get it. Yeah. Be like, this is, yeah, they're, they're going to want, like, the darker stuff. Like, ambivalent for sure. Yes, um, absolutely. And I think glass were wary. Is that how you pronounce it? Ware. To Ware. break. Yes, break <laughs> the glass. Break the glass. Yeah, and that's the one about the barking dog. Read the lyrics with that and, like, pump it up. That's the one that, like, really, like, gets me going. Absolutely. I'm going to make um, a playlist once again, only for patrons that has a sequenced 
ordering of songs that you should listen to that get more obscure as you go on. But I really do encourage everyone to at least investigate like Silent Majority and Fukuaon and Eccentric and watch them read the subtitles, see these girls flailing for their lives and feel what their torture has made in the world. Um, we've been through this whole group, and as I'm re-philosophizing the world on this season of my podcast, Jacques, what do you think I should take from Keikizaka 46 into my new universe? Oh my god. Um, don't actually, you know what? Don't lose yourself in the art too much like Tetsu mm. did because you don't want to like completely lose yourself where it's like you have nothing else going on where you're like controlled by a demonic yeah. spirit. I feel like that with a lot of stuff. Um, we can get too like deep into these worlds, whether it's like social media. Even I felt like when I ended up in the housewives fandom so deep, which I'd never wanted to like be in. And I just was like, I'm so This is was driving me crazy. I feel like please stay grounded in reality. Yeah. Everyone, I think like she's someone like, but like be the artist and get into it and embrace it and like take chances and take risks and like try new things and stuff, but like, don't let it become a demon that possesses your soul. Yeah. I think that's probably the best personal philosophy that people have to take, but I'm also completely here for becoming the producer and torturing people until that they make these like, pained cries of absolute horrified torment that resonate with human truth but you have to learn how to balance a uh, complete spinning out into the art realm with actually being a human being who can cope with being alive <laughs> <You're> perfectly <laughs> said
not hot to the degree where I would want to resist, but I'm not meek to the degree where I would accept it. How many more years until I can get out of here? In order to be an adult, get used to lies. On Monday morning, my skirt was cut. Someone probably did it on the train to school. Somewhere in the pitch black darkness, pile up the stress. Was it for entertainment? I can't let out a scream. From now on, the train will always be full, and despite there being neither dreams nor hope, will it stop at every station? Hard work will be rewarded. Humans are equal. Does such persuasive power exist in unhappy adults? Without becoming dumb to the degree that I would want to die, it also isn't fun to the degree that I would want to live a long life. More is too much to handle. In order to not stand out for the remainder of your life, stop breathing. Everyone lives while something of theirs is cut. On a sunny morning, my skirt was cut. It's lonely in an ignored corner of society. I only want to convey the fact that I'm here. What do you know about me with that self-satisfied look on your face? On Monday morning, my skirt was cut. Someone probably did it on the train to school. Somewhere in the pitch black darkness, pile up the stress. Was it for entertainment? I can't let out a scream.